invite you to turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to be looking this evening at Jonah chapter 1, verse 7, down through chapter 2, verse 10. Mostly we're going to be looking at chapter 1 and just the very end of that passage that we described here in chapter 2. We'll look more at the rest of chapter 2 at a future time. It's been a little bit of time since we've been looking at this book, but I trust that this story is very familiar to many of us, and so we'll be able to dive right back in. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. It is sufficient, it is authoritative, and it is without error. Jonah 1, beginning at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay it not on us, innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Dear Lord, we ask that You would use Your Word here this evening, that You would use it as a sword to cut out from our lives the sin that besets us, to defend us from the evil one who would attack us. O Lord, teach us from Your Word that we might be more like our Lord Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of after the fact? You know, where circumstances occur or people take certain actions and you really don't have any idea why this is the case. And then time passes and more is revealed and you understand. You say, oh, now I know why you did that. Oh, now I understand what you meant. I didn't before, but now I do. This is an important change of perspective in our own lives, but it is even more critical as we think about our spiritual lives and how God is at work. That's what's happening here with Jonah. We've said that Jonah is a reluctant or even a mutinous missionary. He has a missionary charge that he refuses to take up. As a matter of fact, as we saw last time, he tries as hard as he can to get as far away from obeying God as he is able. He's not just seeking to skirt the will of God. He is directly opposed to it and convinced that he can escape God's will. But here in this text, Jonah now begins to understand the mission that God has for him. He's not completely there yet, but almost. He's understanding why God has sent him to Nineveh. And the Lord does this for him through two really experiences. The first is the example of the mariners. That is the example of the sailors on the ship. And then the second is, of course, the famous one that we all know about Jonah. But that is the experience of the fish. So the example of the mariners and the experience of the fish. Now Jonah is on this ship with these probably hard-living, hard-driving pagan sailors. And we all know to some extent what sailors are like, right? If I describe for you and I say, this person talks like a sailor, you don't want me to give any examples here in front of the kids. Sailors are people who tend to be a bit crusty, with or without the peg leg, with or without the parrot. They're someone who lives life out on the sea. They're apart from family and friends. They're, they're in a bit 
in an act of survival all the time because they don't know what will happen to them on the open sea, especially at times like this. This is no large cruise ocean liner that Jonah and his compatriots are on. It's a small boat that is being tossed and turned and broken apart by a storm. So in this example, in this story, Jonah begins to see the truth of something he should have already known as a servant of the Lord. The first thing that he sees is that we cannot avoid the Lord. We cannot avoid God, His presence, His purpose in our lives. You know, Jonah had seemed to have gotten his escape. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. He had gone down from Israel, gone down to Joppa, and gone down onto the ship, and gone down out into the ocean, and they had gone down toward Tarshish. It's no coincidence that the Bible describes Jonah's journey here as continuing to go down and down and down. He thought he had escaped from the Lord, but in doing that, in running from the Lord, he had really just taken a path downward. But you see, he really wanted to escape. He really wanted to get away. And and we see this because God had gotten His attention and certainly the attention of the sailors through this storm. You'll recall that it's described in the Bible like a javelin or a bolt that had been thrown specifically at the ship. And the sailors know something is up because they're not just sailing. They're praying. It's all hands on deck, not just to bail, but also to pray. But Jonah still doesn't get it. He is still dull to the presence of the Lord because of his sin. We see this because the sailors wonder what is happening. Why has this evil come upon them? And so they get the idea to cast lots. Now, the language here makes it sound like what they're doing is they're rolling dice. And the idea would be whoever rolls snake eyes, it's got to be his fault. Now, that may sound very odd to us. I'm sure many of you do not make major life decisions by cutting a deck of cards or rolling the dice. But it was something that was done all the time in these days. But if you're Jonah and someone walks up to you and says, I wonder why some powerful God is trying to destroy us, you would think you might have a clue why. And you might be able to speak to that. But instead, he just hangs back and is silent because he's trying to escape God. And he's willing to let them cast these lots. You see, Jonah, as soon as this process would have gone on, should have stood up and taken responsibility. Not just because of his story, but because remember, Jonah is a prophet of the school of the prophets. And he knows, perhaps by heart, another very similar story. It's about a man who took something that didn't belong to him at the Battle of Jericho. And how against all odds, Israel was defeated at the next battle. And how lots were cast to find out why this evil had come upon Israel. And the first lot was cast upon the clan, and then upon the tribe, and then upon the family. And finally upon Achan himself. So Jonah knew or should have known that you cannot hide from God. Not even if you are in the middle of the entire Israelite nation. 
But instead here, he's so desiring of avoiding God that he clings on to this. He had to have known how it was going to come out. But before we're too quick to cast stones at Jonah, we need to look at our own lives. You see, sin does this to us too, doesn't it? We hope to avoid reality. We cherish or nourish a sin. And we know from God's Word that it's harmful, that it's destructive. We know the bad things that will come from it, and yet we we blot that out. Oh, it'll be okay. I'm sure that amongst everyone on earth, if, if I steal, no one will find out and nothing bad will happen. Oh, I can commit adultery and nothing bad will happen or come to me or my family. Right? We push off those thoughts because we seek to avoid and escape from God because we, what we really want to do is escape judgment. But you see, we need to remember that we are also like Jonah. For God sees you cannot escape from the Lord and His judgment. And as that lot falls, Jonah already knows what it says. You can almost imagine the scene. They're sitting on the deck of the boat and they cast the lots. And the captain then begins to walk up to Jonah and he says, Jonah... And Jonah does what I think many of our young people do when they're caught in it by their parents. He looks down, he shakes his head. Or he smirks. He knows he's caught. He he doesn't need to hear the rest of the sentence. He can't escape the Lord. And you see, we should not try and avoid the Lord because when we run from God, we lose our purpose in life, which is to glorify God And to enjoy Him forever. Here we have Jonah, the great missionary prophet of God, who is sent on a special mission to the worst of the pagan nations. And he is trying so hard to fit in, so hard to be relevant, that the sailors don't even have any clue who he is or what he does. Do you see that from the text? What country are you from? What's your job? Could you imagine... If people who lived around us had no idea of our testimony, I think the most indicting thing that could be said of me is if everyone who lived around me had no idea I was a pastor. I was trying so hard to be relevant in my community that I had no witness for the Lord. But that doesn't just happen with pastors. It doesn't just happen with missionaries. It happens with moms. It happens with dads. It happens with teens. Now, that doesn't mean you need to have a sermon every time you get together with your friends. But it does mean that we need to be conscious of the fact that we live all of our life before the Lord. Because, you see, the Lord will not avoid us. If we try and avoid Him, we can't because He will not avoid us. And... God shows this to Jonah in the story of the mariners. Now, imagine this. God gives Jonah a job of preaching His grace to pagans. And Jonah says, there is no way that I am going to do this. 
Pagans don't deserve God's grace. I'm going to run as far away from this job as I can possibly run. And he ends up in a place where he gets to see God's grace meted out to pagans. To pagan sailors. To crusty, hard-driven sinners. Jonah's run so far away, he's run exactly where God wants him to be. You see, God wants Jonah to see his grace at work among those who need it. And you see, these pagans, these sailors, in a very real sense, God uses them to rub it into Jonah. This isn't just a whisper. This is a megaphone. Because what are these sailors like? These pagans that should be hated by Jonah and deserve punishment and wrath and should be killed. Well, Jonah is asleep during the storm and they're doing what? They're praying. Now, don't get me wrong. They're praying to false gods. They don't know what they're doing. But it seems to me that's better than being asleep in the bottom of the ship. At least they realize that something's going on here. And then what happens is once they find out that Jonah's to blame, do you see what they do? What would you expect? You would expect the next sentence to be after Jonah says, you must pick me up and hurl me into the sea to be the Hebrew equivalent of heave-ho. Toss him right over. But they don't. They try to go back to land to save him. And, and the language is very vivid. They're digging into the ocean with these oars, straining as hard as they can to get to land. And only when it is obvious that there is no possible way that they can do it do they decide that they have to give up Jonah. And even in doing that, they still plead out to the Lord to hear them. You see, there's a very real sense that in some ways they are better than Jonah in their actions. But it's not good enough to be better than Jonah. It's not good enough to be better than someone who's rebellious. They're still a people, men who are lost in sin. They still need salvation. They still are completely without hope in themselves. You see this even in the physical nature of their inability to do anything about this storm. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a place when you realize you have no hope in yourself? That you cannot solve the problem. That you cannot get out of the mess. That you cannot fix the relationship. If you are there, the book of Jonah tells you that you are in a good place. Because you are in a place where you understand your need for the Lord. God is using your circumstances to point out to you that you must seek Him. That you must find Him. And so these sailors have a God-appointed encounter. And they're changed forever. Now, there's no certainty here in the text as to whether what happens here is a true conversion or not. And in some sense, that's good because... Only the Lord knows whether any of us is truly converted. But what we do with each other and with ourselves is we look to evidence that shows a heart that has been changed. And I think there's something in here. If you look at verse 14, it, if you'll forgive the pun, yells out at you. 
Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Now, do you notice how the Lord is written there? Perhaps like your Bible, my Bible says, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the covenantal name of God. It is the name of God that has been revealed. That is the I am who I am. Jehovah, Yahweh. It would not have been something that they would have known. It would have been something they would have heard from Jonah. They didn't just call him God randomly. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's not the force of the universe. No, he is the very personal I am. And they claim him. And the end of verse 14 says, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And this reminds us of a passage from the Psalms where the language is very similar. Where Psalm 115, as it's describing the difference between those who believe in false gods and those who believe in the true God, those who believe in the true God profess, our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases Him. You see, here, the sailors seem to have a very real conversion experience. And Jonah can see this and he can see the grace that God is bringing. And what he sees is something else that we should understand that God can save by His grace either through His servants or without them. And the main difference is is that when He saves through His servants, through us, we get the blessing of that grace. To see God's grace in action. And Jonah is missing that here. He's so busy running, so busy hiding, so busy avoiding, he is missing a monumental event. An entire crew of pagan sailors is turned to the worship of the living God. And Jonah really isn't involved. This is how God is speaking to Jonah through the example of the mariners. But then there's also the experience of the fish. The experience of the fish describes for us how God is in control, how He is in control of His mission. This is something else Jonah must learn. That Jonah doesn't get to pick and choose which mission is good and which is bad. Which way to go and which way not. Who to speak to and who to avoid. God is in control because, you see, the Lord is always ahead of Jonah. Jonah cannot escape God. Now, I think sometimes we have a picture of God as someone who's really powerful and really smart and who is able to catch up to all of the things that we try and do. He's kind of like a super Columbo or a Canadian Mountie. Someone who will doggedly stay on our heels and no matter what we try and do or where we go, He will figure it out and figure out a way. That's not who God is. God is the one who's in control of every single creature and thing in the universe. And we see this in the fish. Look at me at verse 17. And the Lord appointed... A great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So even when, let's look first just at the action, even when a miracle is needed, God is there. He brings a great fish to rescue Jonah from the sea and to bring him exactly where he needs to be. This is a miracle. Now, the problem is this is often where all of the attention is laid. This is perhaps one of the most famous and argued verses in all of the Bible because those who would seek to mock God say there's no possible way this could ever happen. How could a fish or a whale swallow someone whole and there's no way they could live there for three days? Now, I don't want to spend our time here because I think it takes our focus off of the Lord and Jonah and onto the whale, but let me just say one thing about this, especially to you young people. People will come up to you and say things like, there's no way this could be. This is not possible. You don't have to believe them. Who you have to believe is God. And you know who's right? God. Because there actually was an incident that happened like this. It was on a whaling vessel called the Star of the East. And it turns out that the experts are wrong. There are whales, there are certain sperm whales that supposedly never could swallow a man, never had a hole big enough in their throat to do this, that actually have openings in their throat to fit a house through. And when a, west, when a vessel went out whaling, a man fell overboard and they harpooned a whale a day later. And they brought the whale up and they cut it up to get the blubber and guess what they found? A man alive, unconscious in the whale. Now, I'm not going to suggest this happens all the time. I'm not going to suggest he came out no worse for the wear. But I think we need to be a little bit cautious before we say in our knowledge and our wisdom that God can't be right. Because we will be the ones that will be proven the fools. Well, the big picture here, though, is not about the whale. The big picture is not about the fish. It is about Jonah and what he is involved with. Because, you see, Jonah here is a part of the great drama of redemption. He looks back to the scapegoat of Israel when they took the goat and placed the sins on the goat and cast it out. But he also looks forward, as you know, our Lord Jesus says... This generation will receive only one sign, the sign of Jonah. So this is a part of God's picture of redemption. God is teaching Jonah and us something in this instance of the fish. The first thing that he's teaching us is that the end of judgment is death. This story about the fish is the climax of the story. It is the climax of all of Jonah's running from God. And so if you are running from God right now, you need to know that the end of that journey is death. Jonah tells us this. There is no hope running from the Lord. The end of God's judgment is death. Jonah is sent to a preview of hell, as it were. He is taken apart from God. He is shown what it is like to rebel against God. 
The second thing we see from this is that death seems to be the end. And this is often what we assume. Now you can imagine these sailors, they toss Jonah overboard. Perhaps they say a prayer for him. Someone gives a eulogy. Poor Jonah, I didn't know you that well. You snored when you slept. But I'm glad that the storm's gone. Amen. Let's go on. Their lives go on. Jonah is not no longer a, poor, a part of their story. And it should have been the end for Jonah. He says that in the beginning of chapter 2. He says, the waves swallowed me up. The seaweed was around my head. I was gone. But we need to remember that it's God who decides the end. Not even death itself. Because you see, the third... An important thing we learn from this is that God's grace can break through death and judgment. God did not just chase Jonah down in His grace. When Jonah was thinking about buying passage on a ship, God had prepared and appointed a fish. You understand that? This is not a last-minute fix. This is not a heroic action. God is completely in control. He had prepared this fish. He had appointed it for this end. You see, God is in control not just of the end of the story, but the means of the story. We see this throughout all of the Bible. Abraham takes his son to be sacrificed. And what had God prepared? A ram. We saw it when Ruth goes with her mother-in-law into Israel. And they don't know what they're going to do and what had God prepared. Well, she just happens to walk into a field and it just happens to be the field of Boaz and he just happens to be there that day and it just happens that the Redeemer comes from that line. No. Those things don't happen. We see it in a eunuch who's sitting reading a Bible text not knowing what to do and God has prepared a man who is a preacher named Philip and he sweeps him up by the Holy Spirit and drops him in his lap. And it's said that that eunuch is the person from whom the entire Ethiopian church sprang. We saw it in the story of another crusty man, a jailer, whom God just happens to place a man named Paul in his prison. A man who cannot stop singing about Jesus in the midst of beatings. We saw it even in Jesus' death itself, didn't we? In all of the scheming, in all of the plotting, in all of the murder, God was in control planning this all along. And so what we need to do as Christians is to take heart. God is in control of your life. He will not give it up. No matter how hard you run from Him, how many obstacles you try and put in the way, how much you try and ignore Him, He will not let you go. He has prepared a path for you. Just as He has for Jonah. Because you see, God was in control of Jonah all along. This is all a part of the mission. You see, there is a sense we might say that what God did not want was Jonah to say grudgingly, sure, Lord, I'll go to Nineveh. Don't think it'll be any worth, but I'll do it because you make me. God did not want 
Jonah as he was. God wanted Jonah to be a humble trophy of grace in Nineveh. When Jonah shows up at Nineveh, as we'll see in time to come, he shows up as a man who has seen grace at work and who has received grace and he is changed. And now he can be used by the Lord. You see, in conclusion, we need to remember that our witness as Christians is not of a people who are good, whom God smiles upon, who have merited the favor of God. (coughs) Our witness as Christians is of being rebellious sinners who have been delivered from the just judgment of God by His grace. We are Jonas. People who do not deserve God's grace, who presume upon it, but whom the Lord in His grace changes, that we might be useful for Him. Not because He needs us, but because we need the change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this lesson from Jonah. We ask, Lord, that You would impress it upon our hearts. We ask, O Lord, too, that You would encourage us by it. That we would encourage one another that the Lord, the Lord God Almighty is in control. Lord, we ask that You would encourage us even as we partake of a meal together. That You would bless this food to our bodies. That we would be nourished, strengthened. That we might rejoice in You. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.